Well, as we open up into Romans chapter 1, or Romans 9, verse 1, we come to one of the most difficult chapters in the book of Romans, one that's been debated over the years. But yet, as we look at the scripture, we'll realize how black and white the Word of God truly is. I'm thankful for the book of Romans. I'm thankful for the doctrine that sits in the pages of the book of Romans. Much controversy has sprung over this chapter. And I want us to see what does God's Word say, whom does he say it to, and what is the purpose behind this chapter. And think about all the historical contents that we'll be going through. But I want you to realize that Paul is the one that has written this. The Holy Spirit has given it to us. And every word that's in here is the Word of God. I mean, when you and I talk about the Bible, we're talking about the infallible, the inerrant Scripture. It is God-breathed. It is given to us every word that we find here in the pages of Scripture. And so when we look, we want to understand, you and I know that if we have been truly born again, that we have been given what we call an imputed righteousness. We went through that in Romans chapter 4, talking about the righteousness of Abraham. We know that he believed God, and God counted it unto him as righteousness. We know that from Abraham, there be, he will be the father of many nations, as the Scripture says, and truly, we have seen this fulfilled in our day. And when we look here in the opening verses of Romans chapter 9, we realize that we're talking about God's righteousness, God's mercy, that he is merciful if he chooses to be merciful, because all true free will lies in the person of God. God does what he pleases. Everything he does has a purpose in our life and every life that's ever been created. The Bible is very clear that we have been created in the image of God. We call that the Imagideo. We realize that he is our creator and he has placed us where he has. This is our time today to live in this world, to glorify Christ, to be faithful and obedient to the word of God. And when we go through the book of Romans, as we've gone through the first eight chapters and we come into Romans 9, we know again this is the word of God. And I want us to see it through the eyes of Paul. I want to see us for what it says. I do not want to read into it. I do not want to make things say what I want them to say. I want you to hear exactly what God has said and know that as the word speaks to us, this is God speaking to us. It is not me speaking to you. It is not my eisegesis. We're going to exegete the text. We're going to bring it into context. We're going to be faithful to the scripture. We're not going to bring in tradition. We're not going to bring in our personal ideas or opinions. We're going to say, what does God say to us? And how has God spoken to us? And I want you to understand that when we go through that, you will see it because God is very clear. Some people say, well, there's much gray in the word of God. I believe to people that are well studied in the scripture, the Bible is very much black and white. God has spoken to us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our instructor. He is our counselor. He is helping us day by day. He is the one that comes alongside us. He aids us in our understanding. He gives us wisdom in the word of God so we can understand the truth of what is spoken to us and written within this book. And so when we open up here, coming into chapter 9, he says, I say the truth in Christ. I as Paul, Paul always spoke the truth. Paul wrote many of the epistles in the New Testament, which you know. And he says, I say the truth in Christ. That when Paul speaks here, even in this chapter, Paul is speaking what the Holy Spirit has put here before us. You must understand that. You must understand that when you read through a book of the Bible, that the Holy Spirit himself is the one that has given us 
this book. Paul is the author, Paul is the writer, but truly it is God himself, the Holy Spirit, that has given us the words that we're going to read today. So when Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, He's making it very clear that the words he's about to speak are the words of God. These are the words given to us that we may know God. And that's why it's so important to read your scripture, to read it for what it is, not try to interpret it different ways or by men's tradition. And remember that all glory and all praise goes to God and God alone. It does not go to us. We are not some kind of special people that were able to figure things out. The faith that has been given to us has been given to us by God. It has been granted to us by God. The repentance to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is also a grace of God, a grace of the Holy Spirit, for it is the Holy Spirit that has regenerated us and brought us unto a saving knowledge of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul speaks here, I say the truth in Christ, he makes it immediately that his authority is not himself. His authority is Christ Jesus. The Bible says about Jesus Christ, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we see what Paul says here, I say the truth in Christ, he is saying, I am not speaking of my own. I am speaking the word of God. I am speaking of the person of Christ, the truth that lies in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can look at it as the absolute truth that God has given us. So when he says here, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, he makes it very clearly that this is not his words, he lies not. What he's about to say is exactly what God wants us to hear. We do not need to get confused and worried about the different word and terminologies that we'll find in this chapter. We want to read it for what it is, we want to believe it for what it says, and we know the Holy Spirit is the author behind it, and we have nothing to fear. But we do have to fear that when God speaks to us in the Word of God, we have to hear and we have to be a doer of the Word. I mean, we have to be leaders in our homes as men. We have to be obedient as faithful stewards of the gospel, whether men or women, and we have to have all allegiance given to God first and foremost. The Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And so when we look here, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So when you look here, Paul makes it very clear that he brings in the third person of the Trinity. I say the truth in Christ, that's the second person of the Trinity. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. You know, the Holy Ghost is the one that is controlling our conscience, working upon us through us and to bring us into that conformity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we backed up into Romans 8, 29, it says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So when you look here, the Holy Spirit is the one that is working what we call progressive sanctification. It means that we are being conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are being obedient to him. We are being made in his image and we are being made in his righteousness because you and I, the Bible says, that we have the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look here, his conscience is an obedience to the word of God, obedience to the Holy Spirit, so he can trust his conscience because he lays it out before us in the scripture. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is obviously here in Paul. The Bible makes it very clear that Paul was a man that was filled 
with the Holy Spirit. He was a man that was an evangelist. He was a man that was a pastor and a church planner. He was a man that walked obediently to the word of God. He was a man that had a zeal for God with all energy and all glory and power given to God. And Paul was a vessel that was prepared unto glory before the foundation of the world. And we're going to see that because the Bible is going to make it very clear to us for us to see it. We have nothing to fear. We are thankful that when God saved us, he saved us with an eternal purpose. We know that what God does, he does everything with a purpose. Everything that comes into our life, every circumstance that has hit us, there's a purpose for it. It gives us an opportunity for the just to live by faith. It gave Paul an opportunity to write these words for us 2,000 years ago that you and I can read the scripture and realize that it applies to us as much as it did 2,000 years ago. When you read the Old Testament, you can go back 4,000 years ago and know the Old Testament has a lot of important things to say to us here in 2022. And so when I look at the Word of God and I read it, I want you to know this is the Word of God. This is God speaking. This is not Paul speaking. And Paul is doing it by the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. So when you see all these things, Paul makes it very clear that his testimony is of Christ, his witness is the Holy Spirit, and his conscience is absolute agreement because the Holy Spirit has done that work into his heart to bring him to that understanding of exactly what he is writing for us here 2,000 years ago. So he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, when you come here to verse 2, he says that I have great heaviness. I want you to know, do we have this kind of heaviness? Well, he says here that I have great heaviness and continue sorrow in my heart. Now, you and I would look at Paul and we'd say he was an amazing evangelist. He was a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit, never had any issues. He's probably sinless, as some would say. But Paul was not sinless. Paul struggled with sin like you and I do. Paul struggled to live a holy life like you and I do. Paul is still a man. Paul is a man that God is using greatly because Paul is sold out for the cause of Christ because he knows how much God loved him to save him from his own wickedness, his own pharisaical wickedness, his his understanding that he had to keep the law and do all these things where God would be pleased with him. God birthed him into the kingdom of God. God put him in the story. And so when you and I look at the Apostle Paul, we are thankful that God can save someone so wicked as him and yet bring him into a saving faith and then use him in a mighty way. I mean, you and I, when we've been born again, we haven't just been born again to be saved. We've been born again to serve God with your life. You have one life to give and it has been given to you to serve Christ, to serve God. You know, some people talk about the slavery aspect. You're either a slave of Christ or a slave of sin, but either way, you're a slave. No matter how you want to look at that, that is what the Word of God says. And so when we look here, Paul says that I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. Now think about Paul and think about his passion for his for Israel, okay? And so when you look here, he says, I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. When you and I look around and see the world today, we should have a continuous sorrow in our heart. We should have a great heaviness in our heart because we know so many people are outside of Christ. I mean, Paul's passion was to bring every man that he come into contact with, with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bet you no matter what he was doing, whether he was making tents or going about his business, that every encounter that he had, he'd bring people to Christ. He would have a conversation about Christ because he knew that that soul and that person is going to be eternal somewhere, heaven or hell. He knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt. He wasn't guessing at that. 
And so he had a passion in his heart. He had a continuous sorrow in his heart because the one thing Paul knew is he knew what God said. He knew that whatever God said is going to be absolutely true. And he knew that except that men repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will surely die in their sin and they will surely be thrown into hell. He knew that because God has spoken in his book. We can go Old Testament, New Testament. You and I have a complete canon of scripture. We have a complete word of God given to us. We are so much without excuse. We will never be able to stand before God with excuses why we didn't do what we were supposed to do. And truly, when you look at the word of God, we are thankful for the apostle Paul. We see the great heaviness because he lays it out before us, continual sorrow in the heart. Remember, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through him to us. This is the Holy Spirit that are penning these words. See, when people say, well, I want to hear from God, and then you read his Bible and you read it out loud and listen to it, right? I mean, that's exactly how we're going to hear the word of God. We do not need some extra biblical revelation. We have the complete revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not need extra this or extra that. We have the Bible that has been given to us, written, that we can read it. We're thankful for the translation in the English language that we can actually read it in our own language and come to an understanding by the Holy Spirit. So when you and I read the scripture, the Holy Spirit gives us understanding, clarity into the scripture. We know it surely wasn't us that did it. It was God. Why is that? Because God says, I want all glory unto myself. I don't want you to take any glory unto you. Everything I do is for my own glory and my own praise. The Bible says I share my glory with no other but myself. I mean, is God like that? Yes, he is. He says, I will share my glory with no one. That's like you and I, the working that God's doing in our hearts and in our lives. We give God all the glory. It's not about us. It's about him. And you and I should have a heart and a passion for lost people, just like Paul lays out before us very clearly because that I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. And so when we go through this chapter, it's amazing that he opens up with these verses dealing with his heart situation, that he truly wanted all Israel to come to an understanding and faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted God to enlighten the eyes of the dead and bring them unto life that is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that only God could do such a thing because Jesus said very clearly in the gospel, for with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. He knew that his dependence was not upon him, his dependence was upon Christ. That's like you and I, when we go and have our conversations with people, sometimes pretty intense, sometimes not, but we know that except God open the eyes of the blind, they'll never see. God open the ears of the deaf, they'll never hear. And God open the heart, their heart will never open based upon their own volitional choice. It is a moving and a working of the Holy Spirit. It's called the doctrine of regeneration. It's called being born again, as the scripture says, for all men must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And we know as we look at the scripture here that Paul was a man, an evangelist, for the cause of Christ. He had one passion to see other people come to Christ. People say, so why do we even waste our time and go out and talk to people about Christ? Because God said to go and make men and make become fishers of men, right? I mean, that's part of the Great Commission, to go and make us fishers of men, to go and make disciples out of all nations, to be obedient soul winner, because the Bible says he that winneth souls is wise. Why do we do these things? Because God said to do it. I mean, why do we pray 
the truth of it is, God said to pray. Why do we do all these things that the Bible tells us to do? We do them, but we leave everything upon God. We say, Lord, I want to be faithful. I want to do what I'm supposed to do. I want to be obedient to the word of God. I want to be faithful to you. I just want to be a man that will love you and cherish you and live for you and tell others about you and be a soul winner and be an evangelist and be a minister of reconciliation. And I want to bring as many people as I can to the kingdom of God. But God, I know, except you open their heart and open their mind, they'll never see the truth. They will never see you for who you are. But Lord, my dependence is not upon me. It's not upon my presentation. My dependence, Paul says, is upon God because God can do these things. The greatest miracle there is is to see one born again. I mean, the Bible is so clear with that. It's very obvious. But Paul here, you can see his heart because he's talking about his fellow Israelites. He's talking about those that have never come to the understanding that he did. When you look at Paul there in Acts chapter 9, the Damascus Road experience, Paul was not looking for God. Paul said, I have God. Paul had a knowledge and a zeal for, or a zeal for God, but not a knowledge of God. Paul was one of those Pharisees that were doing everything they thought to establish their own righteousness. And when we look at the word of God, we realize Paul came to the understanding Oh my goodness, it is not about me. It is not about my works. It's not about how much I do for God. God stepped into my life. I've seen the Christ for who he was. And the first thing Paul said, Lord, what will you have me do? And we know from that day forward, God took Paul, used him in a mighty way. And Paul is martyred at the end of his life for the cause of Christ, but he had a love for Christ that never brought any fear into his heart about death. He knew that death would not come until God said it would come, and he knew that he loved his Savior because the Holy Spirit regenerated Paul, the Holy Spirit sealed Paul in the heart, and the Holy Spirit powered him to write most of the epistles that we find here in the New Testament. And we are thankful for Paul, but he has a continued heaviness in his heart, a continued sorrow in his heart. For he says in verse three, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. Look what he says here, for my brethren. Now we're talking about brethren in the flesh, talking about the Israelites. And so when we look at the scripture here, it says, for I could wish myself were accursed from Christ, for my brother. In other words, his heart desire was to see all of them come to Christ. Why is it that you and I, we talk to people day by day, we never have a desire in our heart to see them come to Christ? Why is it that we have different conversations and different situations that we find ourselves, maybe people on our jobs, maybe people that we know and love, maybe our own family members? Why is it so hard for us not to tell them about Christ and not to tell them of what Christ has done in our heart, the salvation that he has wrought in us? Why do we not have a passion and a love for them? God, give me a love for souls. Give me a love for the lost. Lord, no matter how much they hate me, no matter how much they despise me, Lord, help me to be a faithful steward. Help me to tell them about Christ. Do not let me be fearful. Do not let me be ashamed of you. God, help me to be that biblical soul winner. Help me to be that person that tells them about Christ because, Lord, you have done some great miracles in my life. You have answered prayers in my life that I never thought would be answered. You have brought different reconciliations in different situations. You have done all these things. So why are we not telling others about Christ? Why are we not telling them how important it is for them to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to be faithful to Christ, to realize that our confidence is not in ourselves? 
It's not in what we do, it is in what God has done. And we know that all these things have been done before the foundation of the world, that we can be obedient and holy and righteous based upon the merit and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul is stating here, he's really got a passion for the lost. He's got a passion for the Jew. Why does he have that passion? Because he knows that if they die without Christ, that they will go to a hell that the Bible speaks of. We can call it Hades. We can call it Shul. They will go to a place that God will send them based upon them trying to establish their own righteousness instead of resting and trusting in the righteousness that is in Christ. So when you look at the scripture here, he says, where I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brother, even though that's an impossibility, Paul could have never forfeited his salvation because God began the good work, God will finish the good work, but you see the passion of the heart. You see that he truly loves his brother. You see that he's willing to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul come into a community. Where does he go? He goes right to the synagogue. Why does he go to the synagogue? That's the leaders, that's the scribes, that's the, the doctors of the day, as some would say, more in a contemporary terms. These would be your theologians and your scholars. He'd go right to them. Why would he do that? Because he had a simple message. Christ crucified, risen, coming again. Christ is the Son of God. Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the one that God has sent, his only begotten Son, to be a Savior of the world. And he will save them whom he will save. And when God does that miracle, when God does regenerate, when God does bring an absolute confidence and conviction in our heart, we can tell others. Why? Because we're like Paul. We have the same Holy Spirit that Paul had. We can be filled with the Spirit. We can walk in the Spirit. We can live by the power of the Spirit. We can say, God, make me holy. God, crush me. God, break me. God, bring me into absolute submission unto you, Lord. Even if I find myself unwilling, God, make me willing. God, help me to be what I'm supposed to be. Help me to have a passion the way Paul had a passion. I mean, when a person comes to Christ and they are truly born again, we are thankful. We are saying, I cannot believe it. So and so, they repented of their sins. They've come to faith in Christ. Oh, they had some hard things they had to bear, many pressures upon them, but now they are free. And they are free in Christ. For the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's why Christians don't worry the way the unbelievers worry. We don't worry about tomorrow or any other day because we know that our Father who aren't in heaven, that he has a plan for us. He's already written the plan and we're just going to walk through it trusting Christ all the way. That's why the Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's why you and I can say, for my confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. For I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. That is the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you and I, when we look at the word of God, we say, this isn't the word of men. This is the word of God. God gave me a book to read. And I read his book. I read it all the time. I want to know him more intimately. And I want to have that passion in my heart that Paul demonstrates here. Because Paul is speaking to the Israelites here. He is speaking to them to let them know that he's very serious about their souls. But Paul also knows he walked as one of them. He was a Pharisee. He would be a scholar. He was trained by the best, like the Word of God says. But God stepped into his life and changed his life forever and took Paul and put him into the story. And what did Paul do? Paul says, I am sold out for the cause of Christ. 
And so when you look here, I want you to notice his passion. I want you to notice the heaviness in his heart. Not the heaviness about, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow about this or about that. The heaviness of those that he loves, that they would all come to Christ, that they would all see him. So when Paul would come into a different area, he'd go right to the synagogue and talk about Christ. He didn't matter who they were. He didn't need a pulpit. He didn't need a platform. He just walked in and spoke the truth. You know, the one thing we know about the truth, the truth pierces hearts. The Bible is very clear. The words that we speak are life or they're death. But either way, they accomplish the purpose. Because God's word goes forth, but it never returns back void. That's what the book of Isaiah tells us. And so when you look at Paul here, what does he say? He says, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen, according to the flesh, that they would truly come to an understanding to see one perish in their sins, to see one come to their deathbed, and to see them perish and die in their sin should be a very horrifying thing for us. Why do we do that? Why do we think that way? Because we know God that created them will do what God will do because God has said what he will do. Paul understood the word of God. Paul read the Old Testament. You gotta remember back in this day, Paul had the Old Testament. Paul was well-versed in the Old Testament. You know, thank God that we have a complete revelation. We have an Old and a New Testament. Both are vitally important. That's why we read the whole book and not just our own chapters, our own favorites, okay? So when he says here, I want you to realize, he says, for I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, Paul's demonstrating his passion for Israel. I want you to know that when God made a promise to Israel, God will fulfill it. Okay? I also will make a statement. I'll make it very clearly. This is what it is. Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. Very black and white. Okay? Now, there'll be some that'll disagree with me. Some that'll say, absolutely, that's not true. Well, I beg to differ. I say the word of God is very clear that when God makes the promises to anyone, God fulfills his promises. Amen? I mean, when I look at that, the word of God in the Old Testament and all the promises are given to the Jew, I know for a fact that God is going to fulfill his promises to the Jew. Why? Because God is a covenant keeping God. Amen? I mean, when you and I look at the word of God and we know God gives us a promise, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God meant that promise and God doesn't change that promise, but God will fulfill that promise. So when you and I read the promises that are in the word of God, we know if God has said it, God fulfill it. When we pray, we need to say, Lord, you know, you said for me to trust you with all my heart. God, you got to help me trust you with all my heart, because at this moment, I just don't know if I can trust you with all my heart. I mean, let's be honest with God. Let's be transparent. You know, the truth of it is that when we pray, God knows exactly what we need before we pray. How do we know that? Romans 8 tells us all about it. God knows our needs. God knows the things that we desire. God knows what he's doing with us. God knows how he's shaping us, conforming us to Christ. I mean, when you think about the Holy Spirit, he is continually working in our life. When I look at the word here, especially coming off of it back up there in Romans 8, remember what he said there in verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to what? Separate us from nothing to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 
So when you look at a verse like that, we say, boy, I am secure. Why is that? Because God began the good work. God finishes the good work. Paul, as he's looking here, he realizes all these people that are having nothing to do with Christ are saying, no, Paul, you're wrong. It is not Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not the anointed of God. He is not the second person of the Trinity. He is not. He is not. He is not. And Paul's heart is breaking and knowing, saying, listen to me. I know you look at it that way. I know, I know you see it that way. But the truth of the matter is, he is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. Matter of fact, Christ is God. And Paul knows that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so you and I, do we have that same passion? Do we really know what we say we know? And are we willing to tell others with a love in our heart? You know, we don't do it to win the argument. We do it because God said so. You know, a lot of times people get in conversations and they get into the word battle Listen to me. What God has spoken, let it be spoken. What God has said, let it be said. Man will never thwart the purposes of God, no matter what he does. Okay? So when we look at the scripture here, he says, For I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, when you look at according to the flesh, that means talking about Jews, because he's a Jew. Talking about Israel, because he's an Israelite. According to the flesh. Okay? Some people have this idea that if you're born a Jew, you'll get to go to heaven no matter what. You live any way you want. You're a Jew. All Jews go to heaven. Um, that's not true. And as we go through these next three chapters here, you're going to know what God says about that. That's not true. But the Bible does say God has a remnant. God has a remnant. And guess what? That remnant will be saved. Who will do it? God. So what do we find here? He says... For I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Now Paul's going to make it very clear. He's going to go right back into the Old Testament. He's going to speak from the Old Testament. You know, if you've ever had a chance to witness to a true Jew, they do not want to read the New Testament. They do not want to hear anything about the New Testament. They do not believe in the New Testament. Because they do not believe in Christ Jesus the Lord. They believe in the Old Testament. But if you know your Old Testament well enough, you can take a Jew to the Old Testament and show them the Christ. He's everywhere in the Old Testament. Okay? And so when you look here, Paul says, all these people that he's speaking of who are Israelites. Okay? Now look what he says here. To whom pertaineth the adoption? Remember the Bible says that Christ went to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Remember when you go to the book of Acts, you come to chapter 11, and Christ says, now I will go, you can go unto the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, but what did God say there? They will receive the message, the Christ. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, it talks about the way. Well, the way is Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? I mean, that's what Jesus said. And so when you look here, he says, who are Israelites? These are the ones he's concerned with. Who pertain to the adoption and the glory. All these things that have been given to Israel, all the promises that God has said to them, all the things that pertain to them, that is what he is speaking here. Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants, all those covenants that have been given to Israel by God with a purpose. You know, I don't know about you, but when I see a promise in the scripture, I say, is that promise for me? Let me tell you, when God speaks to us in the scripture, yea, 
Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. All the promises of God are what? Yea. Yes. Right? That's what your Bibles say. And so when you look here, he says, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory. When you look at the glory, we're talking about the Shekinah glory. Holy Israel seen the Shekinah glory of God. You wonder to yourself, isn't it amazing all the miracles that were done in the Old Testament where Israel got to see them, and yet they believe not. They seen how God delivered them out of Egypt. All the plagues, everything that happened, they seen him depart the sea. He's seen all these things, and yet they turned and murmured against him and all the miracles that they seen. You know, when you go back to the Old Testament and you see all the miracles in the Old Testament, many of them were judgments, if you remember your Old Testament very well. But when you look here, Paul says, listen to me, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth, look at our word pertaineth, the adoption and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law. Speaking of Moses, God gave Moses the, the law. And what did Israel say at the beginning? We will do everything God says to do. And they, what they said? And did they? No. Because a hard man is deceptive and deceiving. So when you look at the scripture here, what does he say? He says, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God. They were given an opportunity to serve God. God said, if you will do these things, I will protect you all the days of your life. I will lead you. And then when you come into 1 Samuel, what do you say? Oh, give us a king. Remember that. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. You know what they said? God, we don't want you as our king. We want a human king. That's what that meant, you know. And God gave them the desires of their heart. And we know what happened with the first king. But look what they say here. He says very clearly, who are Israelites, I want you to notice, the promises given to Israel will be fulfilled for Israel. People that tell you that Israel is just out, we call that replacement theology, is if Israel is gone and the church is the new Israel. Not true. You can't take one passage out of Galatians 6.16 and develop your own theology. God made promises to Israel, and I want you to know God will fulfill his promises to Israel. Today there may be a veil over their eyes where they're unable to come to the understanding of the truth of Christ. But one day they're going to see because God's going to give them eyes to see. You talk about sovereign election when God saved those 144,000 Jewish evangelists in the book of Revelation. He did that all in a split second. All of them were saved. You know why? Because God can do that. We know that to be true. And so when you look at the word of God here, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God, and look how he ends the verse. And the promises. God is a promise keeper. He is a covenant keeper. How do we know that? Because you and I, as we go through our life, there are many times that we go to the word of God and we say, God, you said... You said you would never leave me nor forsake me. 
Is that wrong to go to God in such a way? Absolutely not. Go and be bold. Why is that? The Bible says come boldly under the throne of grace. I believe that's what the book of Hebrews says. Come boldly. We don't have to come in here. I don't know. God will listen to me. Yes, he will. If you are his, he will hear you. And if you are his, rest assured, he will answer you. Now, he may not answer you the way you want him to answer, but he will answer. And when I look at the promises here that have been given to Israel, God one day will bring Israel the way they need to be. You may wonder, why is Israel, that little strip out there in the middle of nowhere, in the Middle East, why is that always talked about in the news and all the time, ever since they became a nation? Why are they so important to the world? They're little, they're small. You can go across Israel, it takes 60 miles. It's a small little place, but everybody wants to come against Israel. Why is that? God has not forsaken Israel. And so when we look at the Word of God, I want you to see that because we're going to lead right into all these things that Paul's going to be speaking of. Because when you look here, he says, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. And when you look there in verse 5, whose are the fathers? We're talking about the patriarchs. Adam, Isaac, Jacob, right? We're talking about the patriarchs. We're talking about the fathers. And truly, those promises that God made to them are going to be fulfilled. You know, some people, they'd say, well, I don't necessarily believe that. Well, I don't really care what you believe. I know what the Word of God says. And I know when I look at the Word of God, I know this to be true. I know the Bible talks about a great time of sorrow. I know the Bible talks about a tribulation. I know the Bible says there'll be a rapture and a seven-year tribulation. And then there'll be a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. I know that. And Christ will reign from Jerusalem for 1,000 years in this world, and all the nations of the world will come to worship Christ who sits on the throne in Jerusalem. Okay? 1,000 years. That's why we consider Dr. Lee as premillennialists. Maybe you don't hear these big names that people like to use in theology classes. A premillennialist. That's what we are. We are premillennialists. And the reason we're premillennialists is we believe in a literal 1,000 reign, year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. So when people talk about all oh, nuclear bombs are going to hit and the earth's going to blow up and be shattered, not yet. It's not going to happen. But it will come one day because the Bible says God's going to destroy this earth. He's going to make a new earth. And guess who's going to do it? God's going to destroy it. So I don't know about you, that's encouraging. I don't think we have to worry about the world being blown to smithereens as so many threats are happening today. But what does the word of God say? And he says, who are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came? Now what is Paul saying? Paul making it very clear. There's, there's really only one name under heaven whereby man must be saved. That's Christ. I mean, we should understand that and say, you know what? I just want to follow Christ. I want him to be my life. I want him to be everything. I want him to work in me in a mighty way. I want Christ to make me willing when I'm not willing. I want Christ to bring me where I need to be. I want him to do what he needs to do, that I will walk close to Christ. 
That's what Paul's saying. That's what we should be saying. Whose are the fathers and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came. The second person of the Trinity, the servant that we went through in Isaiah 53, the servant of Jehovah, the servant, Christ, the anointed of God. And when we look here, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came. What does Paul say about Christ? Who is over all. Christ. We look around today and they're saying all these people, these fundamentalists, these people who actually believe the Bible, we just need to rid ourselves of them. We need to silence their voice. We need to kill them, put them to death, do whatever we need to do. Go ahead. Christ reigns. Christ will raise up another generation of the remnant, of believers in Christ. You can kill the prophets. You can kill the preachers. You can do what you will. But Christ reigns. He'll raise up another one. Right? I mean, that's church history. He raises up another generation. This is our time. This is our time to live. This is our time to be obedient. This is our time to be faithful to Christ. Your life has a purpose with God. This is our time. This is our day. This is our battle. And you know what? They can do what they will. They can try to silence the church. They can do all these things that they're talking about doing. Go ahead! Christ reigns. He's on the throne. That's what your Bibles say. You, listen to me, no nation, no government, no dictator, no president can dethrone Christ. That's what your Bibles say. So guess what? You can kill the body. So what? Christ has my soul. You know, we think living where we're living that we're not going to have too much of a persecution. I think we could be surprised. I'm not worried about men. Like John Knox says, I fear no man. I fear no devil. But I fear God. Whose are the fathers of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all. And I want you to notice here. God. You know who God is here in the infant contest. This is God the Father. Now you've seen the Holy Spirit. You've seen Jesus Christ. And now you see the Father. In Paul's writings. God blessed forever. Amen. Now, what is the meaning here? Look what he says here. He says, Whose are the fathers of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. You know what that means? Jesus Christ is sovereign. No, people don't like that sovereignty. I love the sovereignty of God. I love the sovereignty of God because I can trust him. That even when I mess up, he'll correct me. Even if I do this, he'll move me. Even if my heart seems 
beaten down as if I have no strength to fight the fight of faith anymore. He will raise me up because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll no wise cast us out. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit from the first time that we believed. Because that's what your Bibles say. And so when you look here, he says, God blessed forever. What does that mean? The deity and the sovereignty of Christ. God says, I share my glory with no other. But he says, let all the angels of God bow to him. So what is he saying? I share my glory with no one but myself. So what is Christ? The deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. And if you don't believe that he is God, you are an infidel. You're an unbeliever. Tell me you're a Christian. You don't believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You are no Christian. And when I look at the word of God, what do I see? All glory and praise unto God. God the Father makes it very clear. God bless forever. Amen. What is Paul stating? My heart's desire is that all men would see that Christ is the anointed of God. That God is the one that has done these things in Christ. God has wrought in him. Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit without measure to do all the things that he did. He empowered him. And Christ, what? He has one time laid down his life for us. Christ never shed his blood for anyone but his. And we say to God be the glory. I don't understand it all. I don't have all the answers. But I knew that I do know that God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. You know, we come into the John 3.16, and we're going to bring it out, but the literal Greek reading of John 3.16 is believing ones. Because the Greek didn't have a word for the word whosoever. So it was put in there. But these are the believing ones in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. The little rendering is them that were believing ones shall not perish. And so when we look at the word of God, what do we say? God bless forever. What was Paul's passion? Christ is everything to me and Christ should be everything to you. Where we say, I will never, ever, God help me never to be ashamed of Christ. Now we talk about what, what happens when the day comes that we might have to maybe give our life for Christ. Maybe that day will never come in our lifetime. Maybe it will, but maybe it won't. But we say, Lord, I know you're true and I know you're right. And I know Christ is the only way, the answer to all men's problems. It's not about government programs. It's not about more money. It's not about this, not about that. It's about Christ. Father, help me, strengthen me, enable me. Never be ashamed of you and never let me save my skin but let me always glorify you and Lord I need your help you have to help me because I know I can't do it I need you
And you know what God says? Amen, my son, my daughter. You do need me. Because my son said, you can do nothing without me. And we say, Amen.